obey His word. Then we walk in the light. He is the way and the truth. And in Him is the life. If we obey His word, then we walk in the light. How's everybody doing this morning? It is, what's it doing? Is it raining? I don't, sounds like it might be raining outside this morning. I haven't even looked out the door, haven't looked at the weather, do not know, do not have a clue. If I do not have a clue, that makes me clueless, I guess, at least about the weather part. So, but hey, we're not going to worry a lot about that. We are going to get into 1 Corinthians. This this is a challenging section that we get into here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Challenging because he says some things that if you take them at their own value, um, standing alone without regard for other scripture, uh, it, uh, it can be disheartening. You you can say, well, then who, who does make it? Who does uh, survive? Who does get into the kingdom, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about as we get into this here uh, in just a little bit. I do say good morning to all my friends from all over the place. If you're listening live, I appreciate the comments uh, in the comment section. If you're listening a little bit later on, we welcome you as well, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on YouTube, or on one of your favorite podcast download locations all found in all those places. So, hey, let's jump into it. Yesterday, Paul was talking about uh, lawsuits among believers. 
Uh, and he concluded the, the last sentence that we looked at was in verse 8 and it says, instead you yourself cheat and do wrong. You do this to brothers. Uh, and it's talking about not family brothers. It's talking about brothers, brothers and sisters in the family of God that, that sometimes we would cheat out of or do wrong to in various ways. And sometimes we as Christians will think it's okay. See, sometimes this is why the non-Christian world turns away from us, because we want to act all moral and all that, when in fact the matter is, oftentimes we are no better than the world around us when we ought to be because of the teaching of Scripture and because of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit to give us strength, and yet it it is possible uh, and likely at junctures that we ignore certain things. And one of the things that I've observed over the years is that people have a tendency to ignore teaching about how to get along with each other. Uh, as long as they look good, that's all that matters. Well, it's not all that matters as long as the relationship is good. And so when he, with other people, that that's what Jesus is looking for. So in verse 8, he says, instead, you, you, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. You do this to brothers. Uh, and the preceding verses were all about lawsuits, and you know, you know how I feel based on yesterday, at least. I don't think lawsuits are the first place that Christians ought to go. Now, there is a place. Uh, we ought not be doing this with each other. We ought to be bringing it. This is where the leadership of the church needs to make sure it has the type of backbone uh, and the type of respect and the type of wisdom uh, in local churches, that when there are problems, people can come to the leaders and know that they're going to deal directly with it. And that's a hard thing. I, I'm not a confrontational person by nature, uh, and yet at times uh, I've had to confront things along the way. And, uh, you know, Paul is saying that you need to have confidence to deal with these things uh, within the family of God among yourselves. Now he picks up in verse uh, 9, and he gets into a, another very strong statement. Uh, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And we would go, of course not. And he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the idolaters, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greeter, nor, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers, nor... Uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what tends to happen a lot is we like to land on the first, uh, on verse 9. See what it says there? And, and, and I'm, I, I, I hope that I'm going to deal with this uh, as it is written and not soften it by any stretch of the imagination, but treat it as it is in verse 9. i got to step away for just a second. I've got to sneeze. I'll be right back. It's that time of year where, you know, we have the heat on again, and there's always a little bit of extra dust in heat. Now, we don't have forced air, but still, dust, a little bit of dust gets on the pipes of the hot water baseboard. And yes. So, anyway, let's get back into this. Uh, verse 9. Uh, we will tend to want to single out uh, particular groups of people 
And yet also in our current time, those same people want to say, well, we think differently today, or it means something different today than, than when it was written. We're more enlightened now. Fact is, uh, over the 1,500 years or so from the time of Moses until the time that Paul wrote, 1,000, 1,500 years, um, a good chunk of time anyway, probably 1,500 years at least between the writings of Moses uh, and then when Paul wrote, the theme carried the same. And some would say Jesus never talked about homosexuality. He never condemned it. He never... Well, that's because it wasn't happening that much in that day, uh, at least not flagrantly and publicly. And when it was found out, it was treated with severity. And as it is treated in other parts of the world today, uh, still, uh, you go to some African countries and homosexual activity is uh, treated with with a, a death penalty. Uh, great severity. Now you might say that that's a little overboard. Well, yeah, but you know that that's a carryover, uh, and uh, from earlier times and early understanding that this this is a, it was treated with severity. Even when our own pres, uh, vice president uh, Kamala Harris was in, I want to say Uganda uh, here within the last year and started making statements, and then the president of the country stood up and said, we, we disagree with Madam Vice President, uh, and we do not see it the same way. Um, so the thing about this is that Paul doesn't just narrow it down, and and, and those that, that are of the uh, a persuasion uh, to embrace uh, this type of, of sexuality and sexual openness uh, are Oftentimes we'll say, but you Christians, you single us out. What about all the things you do? And you know what? They're right. They're right about the things that we excuse ourselves of while while at the same time uh, we condemn them. So let's come back and look into the passage uh, and see, uh, just see what it's saying. Uh, Do you not know that neither the sexually moral? So we, we can stop right there. Okay, I mean, it deals, what is sexual morality? Uh, and for anybody that, that has struggles with their, with sexual sins, they don't want to talk about it, but sexual morality, things taking place outside of marriage. And what is marriage between a man and a woman? Uh, that is the biblical definition of marriage. Uh, so uh, the idea of being a swinger. Uh, that is outside the bounds of, of what would be considered sexually moral. Now, some of you go, swingers, what are you talking about? Well, there are people who, you know, you know what swingers are? They're not people who go out in the playground and swing on a swing set. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking about uh, couples who say, let's have a uh, sexually open uh, marriage where, you know, it's okay if we have a sex with people outside of our marriage. We're both good with that. We'll, we're married. We love each other, but yet it's also okay if, if we're uh, frolicking in other places or even uh, frolicking together. Uh, I mean, this is something that at least since the 60s has, has been uh, known, and it's happened even before then, but, but in America in, in modern times since the 60s, 
the idea of being swingers, swinger couples, uh, that, that is an example of sexual morality, uh, sexually, uh, sexual immorality. Um, he goes on and he talks about uh, adulterers. You know, what is adultery? Adultery is having sex with someone outside of your marital relationship. Now, um, Jesus has a, an even more uh, broad uh, definition of adultery, and uh, it, is, it is somewhat challenging to us to, to consider. Let me take us over into... Uh, Matthew chapter 5, because Jesus will deal with it, and he has a very, very, very narrow uh, definition here in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard that it was said to not commit adultery. And so in Jewish days, what they would say is, well, you know, I, I, I haven't committed adultery. I've been just fine. And, you know, but... I have ever had sex with somebody that's not my wife. I've never had sex with somebody that's not my husband. Um, but uh, Jesus defines it a little bit more broadly. He says, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, now you can put in there, who looks at a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her or with him in his heart. So he, he talks about dealing with this with great severity. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown to hell. Now, he is not talking about uh, actually gouging out your eye. But what he's saying is to treat sinfulness with severity. That is the point that, that Jesus is making. Treat your sinfulness with severity, and he says in verse thirty, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And this is a little bit sometimes challenging stuff for us to read, but it, it does help us understand that it isn't just the act itself; it's what's rolling around in the brain thinking about these things. If you're thinking about you know, bedding somebody down that's not your spouse. I mean, Jesus calls that adultery. He calls that sin. He says he's already committed the adultery. Uh, or if you, if in your mind you you actually murder somebody, you might not actually do it, but in your mind you do it. I mean, he he's saying even that is not something that you uh, ought to be doing. He says this is this is a, a wrong approach, a wrong way. Uh, of going about things, and uh, we need to understand, we need to deal with our interior, uh, with what's in our hearts, with what's in our minds. Let me get us back into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll continue working our way down through this passage. We were at verse 9, it's as far as we've gotten. Do you know not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, I, I have said this before. You can't be bad enough to be kept from heaven. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. Um, I'll say that one more time. You can't be bad enough to be kept from heaven. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. The only way into heaven is uh, humbly receiving Jesus Christ by faith, acknowledging Jesus is the only access. Jesus is the only way that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, was ascended, is coming again. Uh, 
turning from a life of, of self-reliance to a life of God-reliance, that is the only way in. So the wicked, we all can classify as wicked. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are all sinful. And so when Paul goes into the next verse here, he talks about greedy people. He talks about drunk people. He talks about slanderous people. He talks about swindling people. He says, wicked people don't inherit the kingdom of God. And, and, and that's what some of you were. Prior to Christ, you were these things. Some of you were, were greedy. And in your greed, you would swindle people out of things. Or in your greed, you made money the, the, the chief end of pursuit. Or some of you were drunkard. Uh, now, I, I have been around some of the people out of the uh, LGBTQ community who would point us as Christians and go, well, you know, you as Christians are gluttonous people, and that's okay. Nope, none of it is okay. That's the point. None of it is okay. We all missed the mark. But he also, in this passage, does give definition to things that are considered sinful. And so in our modern era where people would say, uh, it really, God is not concerned with our sexuality as long as we're loving and kind and gentle and Yes, we can even acknowledge our need of Jesus. God isn't concerned about our sexuality. He is. He's concerned not only about our sexuality. He's concerned about our greediness. He's concerned about our drunkenness. He's concerned concerned about our words and how slanderous we might be toward people. He's concerned about all these things. And he gives the reminder right here in verse 11, that's what some of you were, but you were washed. Notice the past tense. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We should not live like we once lived. We, we should live differently. We, we should live more Christ-like. We should live pursuing the things of God. We should live pursuing the things of Christ. We, we, we should live running away from the things that, that would uh, drag us down. Uh, it, for you, you would have to fill in your blank. And I'm not going to ask you to put this in the comments, but even as you look at the list here, where would you say would be an area, and there might be other areas, but what would be your area of wickedness? If, if you want to call all of these things wicked, would it be in, in the area of sexuality? Uh you know, no, I, I'm not a male prostitute, uh, you know, so I'm a male, but not a prostitute. Um, but what might it be? Might yours be in the area of sexual immorality, either externally with someone or would it be in your uh, in your mind? Uh, there you might even be a person who would say, you know, uh, I could be inclined to be a homosexual offender. There are a lot more Christians out there than you realize that have had struggles with, with that area of their life. And by homosexual, that, that includes male and female, just for the record. And you might be a person that says, you know what, that's an area where I would struggle um, to, to want to live that type of lifestyle with, with a lesbian relationship or homosexual relationship or not even a relationship, but just the acts themselves. That could be things with which you struggle. Uh Thieving uh, people, you might struggle with having sticky fingers and how to get 
things that maybe aren't yours. Uh, and, and I've known people that have confessed to me, I, I have sticky fingers. I, I like to take things I shouldn't take. Uh, greedy people, you know, uh, where it's more and more and more about the money or drunkenness. And, and with drunkenness, I'm going to include other substances as well, controlled by other substances. Maybe you have a problem with your mouth uh, and, and you, you have a tendency to malign people or to slander or to gossip. What is it? You know, and it could be something else. You could fill in your own blank. But if, if someone were asked you one on one, not in public comments, what is your area where you would be most likely to struggle? What would it be? Now, I, I, I don't struggle with greed. I don't think I don't struggle with drunkenness. I don't think I, you know, sometimes I think my mouth uh, is can be more slanderous than, than I would wish. To acknowledge and uh, uh, I'm just being honest, uh, and, and it's an area that we all have to pull ourselves up and go. Hmm, do I talk about people when I shouldn't be talking about people? You know, I, I swindling. I, I don't think I try to figure out how to get things out of people's hands and into my own. You know, I, I'm just being honest. It, it, if my my area would be in the sexual area, that'd be where my brain would have the problem. That's where I would have the problem if I were to name it. I mean, I'm saying it publicly because I want to empower you to be able to say, look, yes, with another man, another woman, with, with a friend, with a brother or sister in Christ that you needed to confide in, that you'd be able to name this is an area where you would struggle. I just encourage us to be able to, to name those things. But but I also want to encourage us today to not only name those things, but to go further and to remember what it says in verse 11. Remember what you were. Don't live like what you were before Christ. Live as a washed person. Live as a sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Sanctified means set apart for God. So live as one that Christ has cleansed. Live as one who's set apart for God. The idea of of justified, live as though, uh, live as one who has been uh, made just as if you'd never sinned in the sight of God by the blood of Jesus. Let's live as washed people. Let's live as sanctified people. Let's live as justified people, all in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Let's live in this type of a way. Now, let me see here our time. Uh, a little short. Let's let's continue on in the passage. He says, "Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything." So he might be saying, "Look, I can do whatever I want because it, it is uh, it, it is not my sins that keep me from heaven; it's my lack of faith that keeps me from heaven." Or you might say, "Well, this really doesn't hurt me." And, and to a certain measure, you might say, "Well, it's it's permissible, it's allowable." But Paul does say it isn't necessarily beneficial. And he says, even though everything is permissible, I will not be mastered by anything. We'll go back and look at the uh, message paraphrase. It says, the stomach for food, uh, the food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both of them. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He'll raise us also. Do you not know that your members are the bodies of... Uh, uh, do you not know that your members... Try it again. Do you not, not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ, unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body? I mean, there is a whole teaching on what happens when you sexually unite yourself with another person. There's a soul connection that happens there, and more could be said about that, but I just make mention of that this morning. For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Because why? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You are bought at price. Therefore, honor God with your body. He says, flee sexual morality. Run away from it. Um, this is what he says. Uh what can classify as sexual morality? Uh, sexual morality can be classified not only as an act with another person who's not your spouse. Uh, sexual morality might uh, also include and does also include uh, things like pornography and running away from pornography. And, and pornography in our society, in our culture, is rampant. It is, it is all over the place. Uh, and I've talked about it before. I mean, it used to be for a person to engage in pornography, you had to go to a, a, a store and purchase a magazine. Now we have these things that you're looking at right now. You have a computer, you have a tablet, you have a smartphone. I mean, it, it can be right there. And our culture has put it right out there. I mean, even primetime television, people, uh, uh, women, uh, prancing around in in their bras and in bikini bottoms and things like that and you know dressing in public in that way uh and some would say well that's a man's problem well then why does a woman have to dress that way i mean because we are sex crazed people in in many ways in our culture so um flee from it why because as we read in verse 19, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is why he lives in us. Do not defile ourselves by sinning. Why? Because of verse 11. Because we used to be that way, but we have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been justified uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know I got a little bit of a late start here this morning because I was having some technical issues. So I've got another minute or so. Let me read this to us uh, from the message. It says, just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave, and he'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created for the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. Uh, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Six, uh, sex is such... Right again, sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As it is written, the two become one. 
since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or don't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. And I I missed a few verses at the beginning up at verse 9. Don't you realize this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will will not be joining his kingdom. And and this is where I think he's getting to in... uh, People who who maybe would say they're saved, but there's they're, they're really not justified. They're really not generally converted. So those who abuse each other, those who abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. A number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, and by our God present in us, the Spirit. So, we shouldn't be using and abusing our bodies. We shouldn't be using and abusing this earth. We are called to holiness. So, Lord, help us. Help us. We need your help. We struggle with our flesh. And uh, we want to be reflections of Jesus. We want to live in the fullness that you have for us in Jesus. So help us wherever we struggle. Those that struggle with the, with the tongue, help them with their tongues. Those who struggle with their eyes, help them with their eyes. Those who struggle with uh, greed, help them with their greed. Lord, help us in our struggles to live as we've been called to live, cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus that we might glorify you in our bodies. Lord, we pray for Israel again. We pray for Ukraine. We pray for brothers and sisters in places that struggle. Thank you that we have so much bounty here in America, but we think of those who are in other places with, with so much less. Lord, hear our prayer in all these things that we might glorify Jesus on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. See you tomorrow.